they're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. How you doing, Jody Rainsford? I'm all right, David Hallard. We said that we ne- we said that we wouldn't record early in the morning uh, after the last one, and then we've done exactly the same thing. As well. <laughs> although it's not although it's not a Monday morning. We're running out of time each week. That's the issue. <laughs> Busy people and all. Um, but how how are you this fine this fine day? Fine, fine. Um, I. Uh, I, I don't really want to talk about um, uh, triathlon training. <laughs> Ever. I mean, you never did. You never to. did. You never... I just well, don't want to have to deal with it. Well, interestingly enough, and uh, we, what we probably do best on this podcast is promise, promise guests that we never, um, we never deliver. But... <laughs> <laughs> interestingly or, enough. And occasionally, occasionally guests promise that they'll turn up and they never deliver. <laughs> yeah, it's mainly that way, actually. It's never that we've, uh, we turned them down. Um, but, well, in fact, we've got an interesting guest coming up soon, Mr. Ben. What was his name again? Greenacre? Gold, <laughs> Gold, Goldman? Greenfield. Greenman? <laughs> Benfield. Greenfield. There we go. But, uh, <laughs> we've got this really cool I... guest. He's, he, he jilted. Is it, are you trying not to, are you sort of like doing that thing? <laughs> it was not like, remembering his name. That wasn't intentional negging. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> ben, 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 Ben Loserfield, Ben Twatfield. What was his name? <laughs> yeah. Was he Elliot Kipchugu? <laughs> Elliot Kipchugu? <laughs> but um, uh, I, I may have just lined up for you um, someone from the best cycling team on earth uh, to advise you. <laughs> so the best we've, cycling uh, we've team had... on earth. I thought you were going to say you should say something like the most dope cycling team on earth. No, I mean no, because we want them on. We <laughs> want them on. Oh, we're not allowed um, to do. What? What would you mean? The best cycling team on earth is that formerly yeah. Team Sky. Formerly now, Team now, Sky. Now team Ineos. Absolutely. Uh, which I. It's, I How, why? Why would someone from there come on this podcast? <laughs> I don't it's a long. It is a long story, um, which I will only reveal should it happen. But it's it's down to um, a friend of a friend who is also a listener of the podcast who's a legend um but they work in a lab yeah. and he's got and he's got something on him and they've been <laughs> with a, with one of those brown packages if they don't come on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> full of caffeine bullets but um yeah it's i feel bad because i'm more excited about this than than any of our other guests which i don't think i should be as you know, as a running podcast. You're being a fame whore. You're being a you're being a fame whore, aren't you? You're getting I think it's because about about celebs. Isn't I don't know if it's celeb actually because I, I, this this well, person's I'm always excited about cycling. What is going on here? Just because to me the Tour de France just seems on. It's almost this mythological race, whereas. Ultra no, no, running now is it definitely happens. It def- I can confirm it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a real thing. 
but I and it's maybe it's because I'm now too close to ultra running that if if I meet an incredible ultra runner, I'm still excited. I still think it's great. Oh, but familiarity it seems in contempt is this sort of thing. <laughs> it's like, it's like oh ultras. Oh, we know so many. We know so many famous ultra runners. It's just <laughs> a penny now. Because it films within our realm, but now it's like, wow, Team Ineos, this is... And, and I guess the difference is, I've never tuned in on... Um, I've never spent a month of tuning into television every day to watch ultra races. And and that, that's the trouble. Like, even UTMB, I, I often don't know who the winner is um, of different different distances of it, okay. you know, the CCC. Um, well, because you can't watch it. You can't. You, and so I, I think it changes would, your relationship. Who would, watch it? who would watch it? Oh, I think if you had a highlights of it, it would highlights be Highlights of ultra running. Ultra running is the worst spectator sport <laughs> next to darts and snooker and tennis and pretty much any other sport. It but is, what a te- I mean, it's bad enough athletics anything above like 200 meters is painful to watch um, yeah but i think the difference is that with ultra and it would be similar to like comrades i don't know the names of every hill in utmb and they've probably all got a story they've probably got this is where um this is where jd would have copped out in 2004 this is where jd would have dropped out in 2006 or people where people have died or uh, there, there'll be all this history around it all and I'd quite like to know that. And if you had a UTMB race down into an hour of highlights, they'd have, oh, this is so-and-so. Her father died last year, and now she's coming back to... So, so they have all these... are, it's not the race, is it? You're, you're not finding the race interesting. It's like when they cover London Marathon. London Marathon's not an interesting race to cover, but when you add in all the stories from the actual competitors, that's what actually gives it the colour that, that, that makes it watchable. But I, th- I think the, if there was a good race, like head to head, but also seeing the tactics, seeing how they ran downhill in parts, uphill in parts, I think it could be seeing them at the the aid stations. Who's taken what? They could, be, yeah, I'd watch it. And that's the thing with the tour. You, it goes into such granular detail about the strategy, about the teams. Yeah, it's it's re- it's how much, so many how- levels. How much water the person throwing the cup of piss over the British competitors is drunk? <laughs> it, was light, had... it was a very light cup of piss. I mean, obviously, he'd, 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 they've been eating asparagus. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It, it almost seems, in, in the same way, if if I watch when I went to see Arsenal, are we really um, dedicating time talking about how great the tour? <laughs> Anyway, we we'll move on. We'll, but the world, yeah, it, it, the but... world has gone upside down, and this is one of the one of the things that's happening. Well, let's talk about it more if you get this person on. And I yes, don't know who yes, yes. Is. You're going to think is the main thing is you're going to do the same thing as with Chrissy Wenzel. You're going to go, oh, we've got so and so on. I'll be like, oh, great. I've never heard of them. Never heard. Of them. <laughs> and they might be like the most famous person in in like cycling. I'll be like, that's great. I have no idea who that is. Um, I mean, I'd love to get Lance on, but I think that is <laughs> that would be amazing. Be amazing. But um, before we before we go into have a chat, I thought go I'd on. do a quick update. Oh, oh go on, go on. Um, just because we've had a lot of response to our Rini interview to do with menstruation cycles, and people have been advising a few things. Um, one of them is the Fitter app. So apparently, that's a really good app for tracking your cycle um then there's a few training programs online um 
girls run the world that are designed specifically for females um, and high peak running. So if people are actually trying to find good training programs that they can adapt to their cycles, those are good. And there's a, a new app. Um, and actually, I think I was going to potentially invite her on the podcast, but then we just lost track, called wild.ai, which is a new training app specifically for women that is completely based around your <coughs> menstrual uh, sorry, menstruation cycle. So it adapts with you, I believe. It's still in its early stages. But yeah, I thought that'd be useful for people to hear. But I, I also believe that you've, you've got quite a bit of reporting back from the group. Yeah, well, the thing is about this, the thing about bad boy running is that we cover the most pertinent and important issues of the day. And, you know, with everything that's going on at the moment, it's important that we have big conversations and important conversations yeah. um, within the group. And so I would I would suggest, you know, that there was a conversation started in the group and we've had some like incredible contributions to it. Um, so I just wanted to sort of talk about that. Um, is it? And it's all around hit, the subject hit, hit of toasties. It. Toasties seem to be toasties. <laughs> We talked Tasty. about toasties briefly on the previous podcast, and I tell you what, it has set people's imagination on fire. So Bob Pope <laughs> says it has to be time for ultimate toasties. Anyone who puts kale or superfoods in is disqualified. And so <laughs> everyone's been talking about what their favourite toasty is. And we've got, it's like, I'm, I don't think we've had as much engagement on a post for, for a long time. There's like 204 comments. <laughs> is a toasty universally known as a toasty around the world? Uh, I'm not sure because some of the stuff that people have said is is, is insane. So we've had. Would some... it be like a chill? Is it a cheese grill in a America? Cheese grill is in Bitcoin America, don't they? Yeah. Is that the same thing? I'm. I, I think it is the same thing. Um, I think they grill it. That's the difference. Whereas we put it in a toasty maker. Um, I'm not sure they have toasty maker. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, just... I can't. I can't verify that. I just um... googled to check, and it came up with a cheese drill. <laughs> a cheese drill. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so we've had we've had lots of different variations. So, same thing. You know, different types of cheddar. Um, you know, different type. You know, red Leicester things like that. Um, uh, Marmite baked beans, cheese. Um, you know, and then getting very, very um, avant-garde with you know ciabatta, serrano ham, black olives, provolone. Who was who was that from? Who was that? Who's got too much money? Uh, Chris Haynes. Chris Haynes. Look, look, Robert, but Rob Pope's gone, you're banned. You should be banned for having a <laughs> Waitrose boy. <laughs> there's, 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 some great, there's some great ones, really, really good ones in here. Then there's some absolute abominations. Um, I, I think I called one out as an abomination. Let's have a look. Um, we, you it? see Marmite are coming back. And if this is, this is where it's a very British conversation. Vegemite to our Australian friends. It's, I don't know if there's American equivalent. They're coming out of a, a peanut butter marmite. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, uh, Briggsy's obsessed with it. Yeah, I do. I do like marmite, um, and I do like peanut butter, but I don't know about the combinations. Oh, here we go. Someone's made a suggestion. Yeah. English muffin, sharp cheddar, avocado, and arugula. See, there's the use of the word arugula in English muffin that points to the uh, the provenance of this. What uh, is arugula? Abomination. It's rocket. Um, <laughs> it's called arugula. 
It's called arugula in, uh, in America. Isn't is that, it? That's, that's that sounds like, is it really? It sounds really? like how Australians pronounce Loughborough. Luga baruga. <laughs> arugula. What is the, like, the, some of the, um, uh, like cilantro in America um, is uh, coriander uh, here. It sounds, cilantro, I think, sounds cooler than coriander. Yeah. Um, but yeah, arugula. And I'm coriander's like, coriander's a bit just, aggressive. And, 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 Rob, Rob, this is the most banned toasty of all time. <laughs> But if you have, I don't see how a muffin can contain and seal around the inside. No, exactly. There's a there's an issue there. There's a big issue. Um, because you also get these. I had one where you. It was more of a pie, so you you didn't have the diagonal across. So you could crack an egg in it, and that was next level. You didn't yeah. have the diagonal across. No, no, no. You you could you. It was it just sealed the edges. So you could make it into more like a pie. Why? And Why would you do that? that? So you can crack an egg in it, but and it's, it's just open. Is it is it is it really a toasty? Oh, is it? Maybe it's a posty. The shape is an important aspect of this. But has anyone suggested sprinkling sugar on the outside? Well, to I think camera- the, no. What the fuck? No, uh, wait a minute. I think the most important thing about this was was um, uh, was the revelation about Anya. Um, what was the revelation? <laughs> That you've remembered it, haven't you? <laughs> Go on. Right, let me just read this from Anya. Strange so for revelation. those that don't know Anya, she does a lot of our social media mark. Yeah. Also famous for running the MDS with TB. Yes. If that's not badass, I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> right. So this is, the, this is it. It's amazing what you find out about people in conversations about fucking toasties. Strange but related story. When I moved into uni halls, all seven of us turned up with our own toasty machines. I think I think that's an experience that we all had. Like everyone turned up with a toasty machine. Like literally the only thing they had. Mine was a devil. (laughs) It was the one thing that brought us all together. We formed a cheese toasty appreciation page on Facebook. I mean, she's showing her age there. Like like we didn't have Facebook. We barely had the internet. Um, And it was and it and because the largest one online and it was the largest one online at the time with people sharing recipes and a love for the humble toasty. Anyway, one day I came home from lectures and everyone was very excited because Richard and Judy had called and invited us to go on the show for National Toasty Day. So we drove <laughs> to London, questioned the whole time whether it was a prank from another student hall, and three of my flatmates had to cook the weirdest toasties. One was seafood, one was pudding stuff, and the other was a classic cheese number. It was presented by Dave Lamb as a spoof of a Come, Come Dine With Me episode. I just had to stand behind them with Vanessa Phelps, the kid from Boy in the Striped Pajamas, and JLo's ex-husband, and taste each, taste each taste with half judgment. <laughs> One of the most surreal days of my life. What is that combination? So JLo's ex-husband, who would that be? Is that Mark Antonio? The boy okay. from the Striped Pajamas. So that's a Holocaust film with a backing dancer and Vanessa Phelps, who, Phelps, who is... What is Vanessa Phelps? Oh, is it Asa Butterfield? Asa Butterfield, he's in uh, Sex Education. Oh, really? Yeah. And then Vanessa Phelps, who is, I guess, a shock jock? Is she a shock jock? I don't know. What, I, suppose, I, don't... I suppose she would be a shock jock in a sense, wouldn't she? She's kind of, yeah. Yeah, I suppose she would be. What the, a combo. The... Yeah, exactly. Um... Uh, but then, but then Anya's given her opinion of what the best toasty is, um, which is ketchup, onion, and mature cheddar. 
get in the group, get in the group, and give your opinion as to what you think that what, what you think. Yeah, and should we have cheese toasties at ultras? Or are they oh too hot? My God, are they too hot? I mean, that would be what you'd want more than anything, wouldn't it? It would be. That would be wonderful. Yeah. But imagine you're on for your time, and then you've got to wait in a queue for your cheese toasty. I, I don't think like, not a lot of people would be in your, in your situation would be on for your time. They'll just be like, there's a cheese toasty here. Screw the time. <laughs> well, maybe we'll speak to Centurion, and we'll see if the next do better. <laughs> I know what we'll stop. do. We want to add another element of danger and hazard <laughs> to this already very, very hazardous thing by having molten hot cheese. Yeah, they're going to have to. And being and being given to incredibly tired people, they're going to have to take out burnt mouth insurance. I remember the the, the last um, was it the first one or the second uh, centurion I did. They right at the end of the race, uh, they had a chili, and it was the hottest chili I had ever <laughs> eaten. Like it's in spicy. It was like the hottest chili, and I was just all of the pain that I had of running the hundred mile. <laughs> completely left me i can't i am i don't like spicy food at all i have like a kitten's palate the italian food system is the system for me i don't like any you know like dolmio spicy is too spicy for me (laughs) and this was this uh, like this was objectively hot and i I tell you what though it it did succeed i I couldn't feel any of the pain in my feet or legs or anything else like that because it was just the, the the pain of of eating the spicy uh, chili was was incredible. I think it was someone. Maybe someone we need a chili toasty. A chip. <gasps> well, if you get one of my um, pizza pocket type things instead of with, without the line in the middle, you could then put your spicy chili in the middle of your toasty, double down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, two banners. Get in the group, contribute, bully anyone that makes stupid suggestions for toasties. So we've got Basically. two minutes. Two minutes left of our intro before James got another call. <laughs> We've got to do something that is running related. So, um, it's not running related, but this is close. So th- <laughs> Let's do something related. <laughs> Wait a minute, this isn't. <laughs> but it's close. And we love this because we have to have a do better doing this. But if you're an American listener, this lies on you to beat Lee Stuart Evans to this. Um, a brewery in the States... And it's just give me a pop-up, so I'm going to click it off. Damn you. A brewer in the States has offered $20,000, which I assume is tax-free, to hike the Appalachian Trail and drink beer. That's all they want you to do. They're to spend five to seven months hiking the whole trail and promoting their beer as you go. That has got to be a role for us, surely. Yeah. And it, it's not Absolutely. until next year either. It's May to September 20. In fact, we're going to get this company on. That is how we get one of the do badders do it. We're going to interview them about it. So do badders, look at your schedule. We're all going to be fired, right? We're all going to be unemployed. We all need something happy in our lives. And uh, put this in your calendar, May to September 2021. And even if we don't get a do badder doing this, we need to get do-badders out on the course because this person is a hero and they need to be met at every stage with full support from our community. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I don't, I love well, how you're going to, I love how you're going to seg this now. 
Oh, I didn't even do this interview, so it no, makes no, it so slightly... Is, so, from, so from this race, uh, where you basically, for several months drinking, to the death race. <laughs> well, this is probably... Uh, it, if you do this hike properly and spend the 20,000 on booze, you probably will die of cirrhosis. So that links to the death race. <laughs> Take it away, Nick. Okay, so do badders, we've got something a little bit different for you today because we've got um, uh, Tony Matisse and he's on to talk about the death race and he's written a book uh, called The Legend of the Death Race and we've touched on this in previous episodes and I think we've talked a little bit about it um, but I think the interesting thing about Tony's story is that he comes from a background having um, uh, worked as a, as a director at, at Spartan, so he's seen both sides of it. Um, and he also has a really interesting background as well. So, without further ado, welcome Tony. Yay! Hey, thank, you so, thank you so much for having me on the show, Joey. <laughs> no, no, Welcome. absolute, absolute pleasure. Now, Excited. as as I mentioned before, you know, David, uh, of course, isn't listening in on this because he's got problems with his with his internet, uh, uh, so he says. Uh, and of course, he's the uh, he's the person with all the expertise around obstacle course racing. So, um, uh, I. You'd think by now, actually, we've done like over 200 episodes of which we've covered a lot of obstacle course racing and still still my knowledge of obstacle course racing is, is painfully, painfully low. So uh, you'll have to forgive my ignorance um, around uh, some of the things I'll ask you. But firstly, about you. When I was doing research about you, I found some very interesting things about because I, I don't know whether it takes a certain type of person to become like an endurance runner or things like that but just give a little bit of background as how how you kind of got into uh into endurance in in the first place uh you know it's it's pretty interesting story um I guess where to start, uh, I've been an athlete my whole life. Uh, my dad had me in taekwondo and gymnastics at the age of three, started me in the backyard teaching me flips and stuff. And then, you know, that, that <laughs> he in start, and of itself wait, is... He started you in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually, I mean, that's even, that's a whole other story that's really interesting. But, like, I come from a, I, there's no other way to put it. My family was a bunch of circus people, so my dad was in the circus, my grandpa was in the circus. Like, all of them did, like, flips and trips and all that stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so, like, very much of an entertainment type of uh, family. And, uh, yeah, he just started me in the backyard teaching me flips. And then he was also, like, wanting to teach me martial arts, kind of turned me into, like, a little mini uh, Chuck Norris karate kid type thing or something when I was growing up. And um, Did you did you yeah. like that at the time? Or, were, or, oh. or did you do the typical, please, I want to go inside and do maths? Yeah. No, I, I loved it. Uh, you know, it was, it was actually really fun. Uh, I watched a lot of those, you know, different martial art movies as a kid growing up and so like i like was always just like i'm this guy you know like i'm like this little you know crazy uh, martial artist gymnast that can do all sorts of stuff which you know kind of naturally led to eventually being on american ninja warrior you know in 2015 um but i guess how i ended up there it's it's uh you know it's funny gymnastics all through high school and got to college and decided to do competitive cheerleading uh, which was super duper fun, and then uh, see, after no, that, see, so wait, so so for the for, for a British audience here, what what exactly is competitive? Cheer- we we don't really have cheerleaders because it's not a very British thing to do to kind of yeah. shout or anything like that. But competitive cheerleading that doesn't explain what that is. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, it's if you've ever seen the movie Bring It On, you know, like where they're going and competing and stuff, it's kind of like that. It's less about the, you know, rah, rah, rah. And it's more about, you know, the tumbling and the stunts. You're throwing girls up in the air. You're holding them above your head. You know, you're popping them and doing make they're doing all these spins. and Then you're catching them and then doing like a whole routine that's, you know, really well coordinated and choreographed. Um, and, and you're competing on a national stage uh, in Florida, uh, and you're trying to win, you know, the big the big prize or whatever. I guess it's like a big trophy. Uh, and so I did that for, you know, four years in college, and we, we ranked nationally. I got, uh, I think our team got like fifth place and fourth place in the nation. You know, we, we were a pretty good, pretty good team, always in the top ten, like, every year. And then, uh, you know, after that, I did a little bit of what they called, like, open uh, competitive cheerleading and it was like for people that kind of had gotten past their college years but still wanted it. <laughs> so I did that for like a year or two because I didn't know what else to do and then I was like still I got into grad school and when I got to grad school I was like I need something like I really need something to keep me going because I've been an athlete my whole life and that's kind of when I stumbled on running and obstacle racing all at the same time I had read Born to Run so I kind of got into the whole like barefoot running minimalist thing, and I was get, like, "All right, cool, I'm going to get injured." <laughs> uh, you know, I was very, I was very smart about it. I took my time. I did oh, not yeah. go like all in. I since I was just starting running, I was like, I started off slow. Like uh, it was like a yeah. very natural progression for me. Uh, so thankfully, I didn't like do like a lot of people did, and you know, go run ten miles barefoot, and then like you know, everyone who listened to this podcast, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so yeah, that that led me to uh, looking for races, and you know, somehow I stumbled on this thing. Uh, I think it was all around the same time I stumbled on this thing called. Uh, the death race and it was this the url was you may die.com and <laughs> i was like well i'm a marketing professional and uh you can't like there's no way that can actually be true because you know like who would actually do that but that's fucking brilliant so i want to see what this is all about so i started researching there wasn't much information out there about it but I knew that I couldn't just go straight into this crazy event that's going to last, you know, 48 to 72 hours. I needed to do some other things. So I found Warrior Dash um, and Tough Mudder and Spartan Race. And when I did the Spartan Race, that's when I was like, wow, like this really feels like the place to be. And then I was like, I need to do a couple other events. So I went and did a Go Rock and, you know, just longer and longer events trying to train up to it. And, and then I found myself at the, the death race. And uh, that's kind of how I got there. Right. Okay. And so, so for people that don't know what the death race is, what, how, how would you describe it? I mean, it's something that with a URL like that is the, the thing is, there's a lot of things now as ultras and, and, and sort of OCR has like progressed where they say, you know, that you may saying that you may die happens all the time. It's like a classic yeah. on a t-shirt now. I imagine when you, you know, back then actually, you know, that it might've, it, it, it might've actually meant something. So, so what did you discover about it? Yeah, so like I mean, I remember watching this New York Times. Uh, there was an article and there was a video that went with it, and the way it painted the race was just like, "What the heck is this?" Like they just throw like these random tasks at the, at you. You know, uh, I think in the video they showed um, a guy carrying a bicycle with no uh, no wheels and no chain because those you had to earn throughout the race. 
So you had to carry your bicycle around, right? And I guess at some point you got to this little pond and they took your chain, which had your name and number on it because they knew it was your chain. And then they took it and threw it in the pond. And then, you know, the guy goes, runs and dives in and he's swimming and he pulls out his chain. They're like, cool, you got your chain. And then, you know, he gets to another place and they give him his tires back. He had to do something to earn those. And then they had him ride like a one mile loop. So he's carrying this bike for hours and hours and hours and hours to ride like one mile on the bike. <laughs> You're like, this is... This is absolutely batshit insane, and it sounds like a whole lot of fun because it's just so crazy and absurd. Uh, and it just the the unknown. I loved that concept of like I don't know what the heck they're going to throw at me. I can't prepare for it. Uh, and it's you know it's it's a metaphor for life. Like you don't really know what life's going to throw at you. And so like the race has all of these um, actually like really deep underlying tones to it of what they're trying to accomplish. And I just thought it sounded like the coolest adventure I could go on at the age of, you know, 24, 25 at the time. I was like, this sounds like something I need to get into. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a race that doesn't have a start, right? And when I say it doesn't have a start, there's no starting line. There's no starting arch. Um, you could be three, four hours into this race, and they're like, okay, the race starts now. And you're like, but what the hell was I just doing for the past three hours? Like, I was just I was chopping wood, and I was building this stone staircase, and I was doing what that was not part of the race? What the hell? And then no defined finish because there's no finish line that you're actually going to cross. It's just a matter of them finally being like, okay, you did it. You finished. And you're like, what? The race is over? Like, you sure I don't have to do anything else? Because I'm ready to keep going. <laughs> they, wait, so so, wait, so who, who organized? Who's the organizer of the race? So Joe DeSena, um and uh, at the time, Andy Weinberg, they started it. You yeah. know, now it's all Joe DeSena's at this point. But uh, those two guys started it in like the late, they're mid 2000s, like I think 2005, seven or so they started it. Yeah. And it was part of their, they had an ultra marathon uh, out there in Pittsfield, Vermont and uh, under peak races. And this ultra marathon, they decided to add a thing called the death division. And it was like the first like real death race. And they only had like 10 competitors in it uh, or something like that. And it was like a test to see like, you know, how, how absurd can we get with a race format? <laughs> and, uh, and I guess it was, it was a, well received if you will and so then the next year i think i don't know if the next year they did a death division again and then the following year they spun off into its own event or i can't remember the exact details there but then it ended up spinning off into being like its own thing the death race yeah so it started off as just being part of their ultra marathon as just like a subcategory to being this its own race and then eventually you know it went from having you know i think maybe 40 or 50 competitors at that one in the New York Times article I saw to when I competed in it in just a year or two later, you know, you had 150, 250 people maybe oh, showing up. Many, really? Yeah, it got a lot bigger. And then by 2014, I'd say that was like kind of the pinnacle year. I mean, you had almost 300 people showing up to compete. That's, that's, yeah, I mean, that's very odd. It's a spinoff of an ultra because you don't, you just, you kind of don't ever see that with ultra. You don't think, okay, this is an ultra. It tracks like kind of ultra marathon runners or endurance runners and like that. I know what they really want to do. They want to chop some wood, and it, it's a, it, it's a weird addition to an ultra run. It's, it's so it's, bizarre. <laughs> it's so so bizarre how they came up with this. But yeah, and you know, the thing just kind of organically grew from there, I guess. And uh, from that, Spartan Race was born actually because they were like, okay, well, this thing's too extreme for the masses. You know, we're not ever going to get more than a couple hundred idiots out here to do this. So how do we how do we get more people? Let's let's tone, tone it down a little bit. 
make it a little and then that's how spartan race was born see that's fascinating that's fascinating because i don't imagine that many many things germinate out of that it's always the other way isn't it? it's like let's start a race let's see how it goes actually let's add things to it let's you know let's build it up and you know let's let's try and find an elite of people who'll do this really extreme thing rather than let's find this really group of extreme people oh my god this is just ridiculous we need to we need to broaden it out that's quite that's quite amazing the, yeah, uh, it really is. And so, so, so when you did it, you said that there was three hundred people doing that. How, I just, I, I just can't get really an idea. Just try and like think. How does it work? Do you all meet up somewhere and then go somewhere on buses, or I, I just how how do you not know that it started or anything? It's just, I <laughs> just, just kind of like let, let's step into your shoes at, at that event and just kind of explain how how you competed in the in in the one that you competed in. Yeah, so I mean, like, you show up at the farm. Uh, it takes place on uh, this big property that Joe has out there in Vermont, and it's uh, he's got a farm, and um, he's got a good amount of acreage out there. And, you know, it. they're like, okay, you can, you can park here. And then someone else pulls up, like, actually, you know what, you have to go park over there. And so then you go to this other place, and they have you park over there. And then, you know, <laughs> they're kind of right off the bat. They're just messing with you. Like, um, and, and if you show up too early, they might be like, oh, you can't, you can't park here. You, you're too early. you got to come back. You know, or and so there's this whole game starting just from the get go. And like they'll say, like, you know, registration is between uh, 7 a.m. And, and 10 a.m. The people that get there at 7 a.m. are doing a lot more work than the people that get there at 10 a.m. Because those people that get there at 7 a.m., okay, you got to go do this. Okay, you got to go do this. They right away put you to work. The people that are waiting, 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 okay, uh, 9.45, I'll walk up to registration now. Okay, cool, you're going to go do this. Meanwhile, those other guys have been doing stuff for two, three hours now. Okay, so there's the first life lesson. It doesn't. It doesn't pay to go early. <laughs> yeah, it's, which is which is weird, right? Because it's counterintuitive to a lot of things that we're always taught. Is like it's good to show up early and stuff, but with the death race, at least uh, maybe show up a little bit closer to that that start time, <laughs> that latest time available. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. So like the gate. So the game. The game's basically begin as soon as you turn up, and so it's all about kind of being prepared to sort of take instruction from people and just deal with it? Yes, yes. But it's actually, the games start before that because they start, you know, as soon as you sign up, you know, you start getting emails. The emails sometimes have information in them. And, um, you know, for instance, uh, they'll send you a gear list, right? About two, <laughs> weeks, two, weeks later, two weeks later, they send you a new email. The gear list has completely changed. You've already maybe gone and bought some of those things because you're a preparer and you're trying to be you know, on top, top of things. And now they've sent you a new gear list and you're like, do I need that other stuff? I don't know if I need that other stuff. They just changed the whole gear list. Do I need it? And everyone's freaking out online, like on the forums. Did you guys, do we need all this stuff? Like, what do we actually need? And <laughs> you're like trying to figure out like, what the hell is going on? What do I actually, what do, they start messing with you the moment you sign up. Uh, there's people, you know, sign up for the, the 2020 death race right now. And I think they're already dealing with that with, you know, like they have to be on like a phone call every day now. And it's like, what? <laughs> that sounds absurd. <laughs> I don't know. See, now, now you're saying it. It does make sense why why they, this spun out of, a, of an ultra marathon because ultra marathon runners are kind of they kind of don't like that. Like they would like to obsess about what shoes they should wear on an ultra, and the fact that you're throwing something like that into it of changing lists and oh my god, I can I, I can see they're the right people to mess with actually. Yeah. In order to yeah. in order to cause the most amount of chaos. Yeah, it's just a mental, just mindfuckery. So, so how so how does it work then? So people turn up, you 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 rock up, and then you kind of start the you register, and then you kind of start the activity. 
Do you, I mean, you're, you're, you're given this, what, this, this window of it could be between 48 and 72 hours. Um, or it, <laughs> I mean, you, you really don't know how long it's going to be. It's, it's up to them. Um, basically, from the moment that you get there and you start doing stuff, just know that you need to keep going until they tell you it's done. Um, and, and if you at all question yourself or decide that like this is stupid or whatever and you quit, then you've pulled yourself from the race and it's over. Um, but I think that's the biggest lesson I learned was like only you could really pull yourself from the race. Um, you know, most of the time, sometimes it depended on some years, some years there was like very hard cutoff points and they, but they explicitly tell you like, this is the rule for this segment of the race. If you don't finish this by this time, you're out. If they didn't tell you that ever, then as long as you kept going, you were still in. And, uh, so it's kind of like crazy, but it's like in, you know, the first year I fell way behind because my team ended up, uh, I don't want to give too much away because a lot of this is in the book, but you know, they gave us this big, massive tire and we were in a team and we had like a 500 pound tractor tire that we had to take through an 18 mile <laughs> course, uh, through, um, this mountain called Bloodroot mountain. It's a single track trail, just really, really, really difficult terrain. And other teams had like a kayak or a slosh pipe, items that they could actually just throw up on their shoulder and carry, no problem, right? We've got this massive tire that we can't, How? what do we do with this, right? So we're trying to just slowly work our way through and we get so, so far behind. We're like hours and hours and hours behind everyone else. They've done all kinds of tasks. We finally come out and emerge from the forest. Joe sees us, he's like, you guys, you're done. You can't, you can't continue, it's over. And some people took that at face value and were like, oh, okay, I guess I'm out. Others of us were like, hell no, we just carried that damn tire through the forest for you, and we're, what's next? Like, let's go, what's next? And, all right, cool, you're going to go do this, you know, and then he would move us on to the next task. Right, okay, so even even when you're getting potentially getting pulled, there's, uh, there's ambiguity around it, it's just a case of kind of like pushing on. And yeah, it's a case-by-case -case basis. It depends on if they, like, if they gave you an explicit instruction beforehand that, like, this has to be done in this amount of time, then, like, yes, that absolutely has to probably be done in that amount of time. But if they didn't say anything like that and they just said, do this task, well, as long as you do the task, you're probably still in. And is there, I mean, if you say, like, there's elements of cutoff and then there's tasks like that, is there, is there any kind of, like, qualification or anything that you need to have or do or, or before before you rock up in order to be entered into the race? Uh, sometimes. Um, you know, for, for a lot of them, they had a media challenge that you would have to complete. And so media challenge would be that you had to go secure a media spot. It's brilliant marketing, right? Uh, you had to secure a media spot to be able to be eligible in the event. And so, like, oh I went and God, got... That's brilliant, I went and got a newspaper to write an article about me doing this event in, in my local newspaper. And then, you know, a year or two later, I had to do another one because, you know, they, they brought the they, they brought the media challenge back again. And so for the next one, I ended up saying, OK, I need to, you know, take this up a notch. I've, you know, finished one. Da, da. So I went and got onto a radio show in Chicago and gotten like one of the big radio station, you know, and got them to do an interview with me. And then, you know, after the race, they ended up doing a follow-up, like, you know, TV segment and stuff. And it's like, that was just one of the, like, prerequisites to get into the race. Now, I was thinking, you know, like uh, a qualifying time of a marathon or an ultra or something like that. But that is quite, that is quite brilliant. That is, I've never heard of anything like that. That is just genius as a, yeah. as a, yeah. as a pre-qualification. Like, I, like, honestly, I don't think there ever was, like, a physical one. I mean... 
I think they're just assuming that if you're going to sign up for this thing, you're going to come pretty damn well prepared. Um, but I can't think that there ever was like a physical like prerequisite that they ever gave us. You know, I, I've done plenty of ultra marathons where it's like you must run a 50 yeah. mile race first, and if as long as you finish it in like a certain amount of time, or it has to be one of these races you finish, or you know. But this was just. I, I don't think there was anything that I can recall being physical. Because when I, th- I, I suppose it was an issue, isn't it? When when it's kind of smaller and you're getting you know fifty, hundred people turning up, then, then you kind of have people that are kind of self selecting and people are sensible going. You know, I you know you you saw when you were researching it. Ah, this is something I need to prepare to. I'll go off and do it. But mm. as it becomes more popular though and more kind of mainstream, there is always that danger that, that you have people who kind of just wing it and go, oh yeah, I'm going to give this a bash. Or you know, I suppose things with social media and everything. Try, you know that and as it kind of get you know like you get everyone wanting to do Barkley marathons now yeah you know, and yeah and it's like literally no one should do that race ever uh right, it's right. awful but, I, but which it, I, wanna, I wish i would love to do that one actually <laughs> <laughs> oh we know someone we know someone it's perfectly fine um but but you do get that and so that must have that kind of has must have been a worry like with 300 people there must have been did you ever see that did you ever see people you're like ah they absolutely should not be here um occasionally yes we did see some people come through that like when i was especially on the directing side like you'd see people like "Mm, i don't know how this is going to go and sometimes like people were you 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 might assume things and be completely wrong um they turn out to be a phenomenal athlete or um conversely you you have the right you know formula in place with the race and the logistics of it that they weed out really really fast right um you know and it's like it's easy things that they would do too that would weed these people out. You know, you'd get them doing all kinds of hard tasks, right? For hours and hours. And you're like, you know, six, seven hours in and you're far enough into a hike where you're like, okay, right now you have a choice. You can go back. It's six miles back to camp. You have to walk yourself back or you can continue on. And we're going for another 30 miles. And that might be an arbitrary number that they're making up and isn't actually real, but they would try to incite enough fear in the people that don't have the mental or physical capacity yeah. that they're like, shit, I don't know if I can make it. I better just take this six mile hike back and they'll just, they pull themselves, you know, electively. Um, so they were really good about like psychologically getting people to quit that were just not ready. And what, what would you say? Is there kind of like a percentage really between like the, uh, this kind of like uh, fortitude that you need between like, you know, 50% of it is kind of mental and, and the, the, the physicality is, is another 50% or, or is it, is it weighed in a different way? Because it, it seems like you literally just don't listen to anything that they say. You just, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting from you so far. It, it's interesting because like you there's you have to listen to a certain extent to what they're saying like you know what is the task what do i have to do but then everything else you kind of have to disregard because it's probably them just fucking with you um you know what is the immediate thing i have to do right now yeah. focus on that don't focus on like the 10 mile 20 mile whatever the arbitrary thing is that they're saying that's coming up because that may or may not ever actually present itself. What are you doing right now? Stay focused in the now. Um, in terms of physicality, like, I mean, you have to be physically fit. You have to be physically strong. You have to, but like mentally, I mean, it's so, so mental. And like, if you've been training and preparing for this up to this point, then you should be pretty well off, right? Like personally, I put each time almost six full months into each you know race beforehand, like preparing, going out, carrying a ruck, going out, flipping tires, you know, chopping wood for hours on end, um, doing God 
like unbelievable amounts of burpees. Yeah. You know, I would I a couple times I remember they have a winter death race variation as well. And I remember, you know, there was one time that they're like, all right, we're going to make them do, you know, a thousand burpees. And I was like, thousand burpees. How the hell long would that take? <laughs> and then I, the moment they said that, I was like, you know what? I got it's a Saturday afternoon. I got nothing else going on start the clock and just started doing burpees in my living room. And, you know, an hour and 45 minutes later, I'm like, cool. So if I'm fresh, it's going to take me an hour and 45 minutes to do a thousand burpees. And that sucked a lot. And now I know what that feels like. So if they end up making me do that during the summer race, I'm prepared. And I know how long it's going to take approximately. So like if they, you know, give me some sort of like, you have to have it done in 30 minutes. I know that it's a lie because no one can do that. And, you know, you kind of just get, per- <laughs> yeah. get some perspective. Um, by, by doing the things that you see other people do and um but mentally i'd say it's probably like 80 percent mental you know right because it's it's if you believe you can do it you probably can okay okay and so what what's kind of like the finish rate for it then what i mean uh, if that, that's that's the big question i would say somewhere between 10 and 20 percent maybe oh wow that is really <laughs> It's oh, a wow. pretty low. It's a pretty low finish rate. Oh wow! And is there is is that how is that how is the dropout spread? Is it like do a lot drop out right at the start, like really close to the start, and then a lot of people right till the end, or, or you know, is it or is it people just dropping out consistently throughout? It varies from race to race because every race is so different each year, but. I would say, on average, uh, you're getting a lot of the drops in that first 24 hours, usually. Um, there have been years where, like, they expected all these drops in the first 24 hours, and, like, no one dropped, and they're like, what's going on? Like, we we, we <laughs> did, lost like, our this touch. One, it, was the, it was the year after I had competed in 2015, I think. They did, like, this long, 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 like, 30-mile barefoot hike, and they thought, what? like, they were going to lose all these people. And no one dropped barely. Like, you know, tons of people stayed in a lot longer. Like, I mean, people dropped, but, like, nowhere near as many as they were expecting. So then they had to, like, try to crank it up a little bit. Because we're like, wait, we thought we were going to, like, have this massive attrition, and now we don't have it. Um, but I'd say, like, it, then it starts to spread out more uh, throughout. And, you know, sometimes it's injuries or, like, nagging injuries that people are trying to compete oh, on. Yeah. You know, that's, that's often it. I think a lot of people go in there and they're like... Well, I already paid, you know, like my first year, I had already paid, you know, the 450 or whatever entry fee that it was that year. And I had gone into it with a torn shoulder with, you know, a couple cortisone shots. And I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna see what I can do. <laughs> it's always the best way, isn't it? I've paid the price. I've paid the price. I'm slightly injured, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I'm not gonna. And, you know, I'm not I, gonna waste that money, no matter what. I can't, I can't waste it. It's like I've already paid it, so I, I just kind of kept going. Um, but then you know, there's other people like I've seen uh, is terrible. But I saw like someone's bag, you know, just completely explode on them. You know, their their strap broke. They tried to jerry rig it with duct tape and everything and fix it, and it was you know nothing. It was completely out of their hands. They were yeah. totally physically and mentally there. They just, their, their pack, you know, their gear failed them. Uh, and that sometimes happens. And so, like, that was a lesson, like, oh, okay, maybe I should bring an extra backpack next year just in case, <laughs> you know, and have it, you know, stashed in the car if I need to, to go get it or something. Um, but then you, you'd have uh, the, the years where there were sometimes uh, the, the hard cutoffs and the time hacks, if you will. They, uh, you know, all right, the next five people 
they're the last five people to get from you know point A to point B. Those last five are out. And then the next challenge, they do that again. And oh, then wow. the next challenge, they do it again. You just start like losing them, losing them, losing them. So uh, I've seen it handled in a few different ways, but they always kind of find a way to make sure they get close to that like 20% or less finish rate. <laughs> yeah, so, so there are points in which you're not just competing against yourself. At some point, you are competing against others. So it, it, you know, it is like a true race in yes, that sense. It's not just like attrition against the tasks and... Yeah. Anything else, right? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, um, and I think you know, depend. It really depends on the year and what their their whole formula is, and, and sometimes like it's like I think sometimes they make it up on the fly because it's like, oh shit, we're not really losing people, so we need to like you know start to do things to to get people out. So we're going to make this harder and push people to compete against each other because most of the time, I would say the race is you against yourself, um, and then I think like there's a percentage of it that is a small percentage of it where they start trying to make it more and more competitive. And so in terms of like your journey to do it, so how, how many times did you do it? I participated three years. So 2012, 2013, and 2014, all summer death races that I did. Okay. And so and how, just like describe that first, the first attempt at it as well. Because you said, you know, you prepare. So for the first time you, you prepared, what, six months of preparation doing various races and, and, and doing and So what, what happened in that, in that first race? Yeah. So I, I prepared by... Um, you know, training, going to do a go ruck was one of my bigger like twelve hour events. There was another event at the time called Seer Performance, which I think was like an eighteen hour event. So I was trying to get like use of that like sleep deprivation. They both took place starting at night. So you know, I worked a full day of work, got off work, drove downtown to Chicago from where I worked in the suburbs, and then had to you know go do this overnight rucking event for twelve to eighteen hours, whatever it was. And, and what, what does that uh, what does that involve? What's that, so go so like a go rock is um it's like a military based thing you have a bunch of uh, green berets uh that are kind of putting you through a couple of green berets that are putting you through like a t- bunch of tough physical challenges right and you're carrying probably like 30 pounds or so 40 pounds on your bag and um you know they're kind of just berating you and beating you down and trying to <laughs> oh, trying to make you work standard a, stuff yeah <laughs> yeah trying to make you work as a team and trying to you know get you you know, trying to push you to, to your extremes, you know, butterfly kicks and burpees in the water and push-ups in the water. You're getting splashed and everything on the beach of Lake Michigan. Uh, and, and, and so I, I put myself through a lot of that type of stuff just to get like some simulation of what this could be like, you know, on a smaller scale. And then uh, when I got to the event, uh, I felt um, like I had done all kinds of, I did everything right. Like I felt like I prepared everything minus the fact that I had a torn shoulder. Um, you know, after talking to the doctor though, he was like, you know what? You can't make it any worse. You have a one inch tear. <laughs> you can't really make it worse. <laughs> so that's we'll amazing we'll medical advice. <laughs> we'll give you another cortisone shot. You come back to me when you're done. We'll get it. We'll get the surgery done. Can't get worse. <laughs> so I said, fuck it. Let's do this. <laughs> um, and I went there, I think, a little cocky, a little, um, you know, I was younger. And when you're a little bit younger, you feel like you got a little chip on your shoulder and stuff. And I was always athletic, always kind of performing as a top-level athlete. So I was like, I got this. This will be fine. And I got my world, I got my ass handed to me for a while during the event. Um, but I didn't want to quit. Like, no matter how much my shoulder hurt, no matter – there was definitely a point where I thought about it um, – you know, multiple times I was like, oh, maybe I should quit. You know, maybe I will do permanent damage. I don't know. Like, I have no idea what could happen, but I really don't want to quit. I don't like quitting. So I was like, I'm just going to keep going. And, you know, and like I kept going and 
a couple times they told me I was out and I was like, no, I'm not out. I'm going to keep going. What's next? And then they're like, okay, well, you're going to go do this task next. And there was one task I like almost didn't finish. And I was like, I was like, is there anything else I can do? Can I do something else instead of this task? And they're like, I like where you're thinking, but you know, that's, that's not going to work. That's not going to cut it. You have to finish this task. And I was like, fine. So I went back, you know, got the logs that I had to get. Cause I was supposed to bring like all these logs down from the top of the mountain brought them back and they're like okay now you're gonna go do the next thing and you know you're slinging hay bales and you're doing all this like <laughs> farm work and landscaping work and stuff and then you know um at the end of it they they had us um log rolling and so imagine you know like laying on your side and you're doing the, the log roll right and um you had to do it around a quarter mile loop and uh yeah quarter mile loop it's a long loop wow <laughs> It's a lot of rolling. It's actually like a Navy SEAL tactic, I guess, um, that they use to try to get them to vomit. It's, um, you know, trying to make you quit, trying to make you induce vomiting and nausea and everything. And it definitely did. <laughs> but, of course, being super gung-ho, right, that first lap I got to, we had to do six laps of this. So, six laps wow. of this. And I'm like, I'm a gymnast. I got this. And so, I, I just fling myself. I get through that first lap in like 15 minutes and, you know, most people are taking about 45 minutes to do a lap. And I'm like, woo! And then I go for my second lap, and I'm just like, <laughs> And uh, it was pretty awful, because from there on out, I started losing all the nutrients I had been, you know, oh, yeah. trying to put in my body. Um, but it gets better. So uh, halfway through that lap, uh, on top of that, there was a, a bucket. And this bucket was filled with like pig guts and intestines and stuff that had been just like molding in the sun for like a month before the race. Right. And they made us stir that bucket 10 times each lap. Oh, oh so you've got the smell, you've got the, everything that can like just induce this vomiting, which, you know, people at first are trying to crawl, you know, you're into like, like a lane, whatever you're trying to crawl to the edge. So that way you're being polite but after a while, you just stop giving a shit. So <laughs> you're just kind of rolling through everyone's puke. Oh. Just the most oh, like, heinous, heinous obstacle I've ever done in my life. It seriously is the most disgusting thing. Um, but you just don't care because you're 50-something hours into this event, and you're like, this isn't going to make me quit at this point. Like, All I have to do is keep rolling? Cool, I'll keep rolling. Uh, <laughs> So my second lap is pretty rough. My third lap's pretty rough. My fourth lap, I am not in a good place. And I ended up having to like pull myself aside for a while and just like I, I completely like started losing like just I guess I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. My whole body was convulsing. I was shaking. I was sh just like lo I've lost like way too much nutrition. And so um, this girl who I had partnered up with, Morgan McKay, she's won the Spartan Ultra and um, she's pretty well known in the, the world of endurance and spartan racing and obstacle racing and all that now she and i were kind of partnered up for this race and uh her parents came over and helped me like immensely like they're giving me gatorade they're giving me all kinds of snacks and goodies they're like you just need to like take all this stuff in and like she starts a little fire and she's there kind of helping me and we get me back to normal and then her and i go back out and finish the laps that i had left she had already finished her laps she went out and did extra laps with me just oh wow just because she's that great of a human being like she is unbelievably amazing um always has a smile on her face and i think that's like the ticket right is always having a smile on your face and so uh that's kind of the first year 
uh, in a nutshell, is like just massively everything stacked against me, but just did not want to quit and uh, did not quit, even though I was told multiple times that like the race was over. But because of like a bunch of weird, um, you know, technicalities, because of that tire and stuff, right? We were so far behind, we missed challenges. They declared it unofficial finish because you know they're like you didn't do all the tasks so you finished but it's unofficial and oh I was like, no oh. i was like okay i have to come back and so that's what <laughs> led me to go back why well, the next year uh and then unfortunately the next year is like you know it, it just things didn't pan out the way i wanted to did you did was, you did you prepare in the same way i mean did you find that the preparation you did for the first year was the perfect preparation did it did it all fall into place and then you repeated it or or did you find uh, any changes so the preparation was actually really great but so going into that next year i decided okay i'm going to go get my surgery and so i think like it was like end of november of that year so end of 2012 november i had surgery and then I was done with my PT by like maybe mid March of 2013, and the race is in June, late June of 2013. So that really only gives me like three. <laughs> this doesn't seem enough time to actually train. I did my first Spartan race in April of 2013, and I was able to do everything but the bucket carry, um, which is where you carry like a big bucket filled with like you know. 40, 50 pounds of rocks, and I couldn't do it. I was like, this is going to, like, my shoulder's still not strong enough for this. Yeah. I was able to do everything else, though. And so, um, you know, I kept training, and so I felt like physically I was actually in a decent place. I was, I felt like I was in a better place than I was the year before because it wasn't torn, but I maybe wasn't as prepared as I could have been because I didn't have enough time, but I still wanted to see where I would end up. And um I don't want to give away too much detail, you know, it's it's all very well detailed in the book, but that race ends up not going exactly as planned, and I find myself having to go back again in 2014 for, like, my final showdown, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what happened then? Uh, in 2014, I'm, you know, I, at this point, I've started working for Spartan Race, uh, so at the end of 2013, I started working for Spartan Race. I'm in charge of all the hurricane heats. I created the 12-hour hurricane heat, which I had launched uh, just a few months prior to the 2014 death race uh, in Vegas. And so I'm pretty much like all day, every day on my feet, you know, carrying heavy packs, doing all kinds of cool stuff. Like I'm a machine at this point, I feel like. <laughs> I, I am in the best shape of my life because my life is literally like Spartan racing now. And so... That race went pretty well, but now I've got a massive target on my back because I'm really well known uh, by all the race directors and everyone. And of course, they want to like make sure that I can actually do what I'm supposed to be able to do, right? So yeah, absolutely. It definitely turned the tide a bit, and I felt like I had to perform even more than you know prior to that. Oh, really? Okay, so you had the like, extra pressure. The um. Just mentioning that in terms of the the you know the hurricane heat twelve hour that's quite an interesting because you did you didn't you pitch that idea to Joe DeSeno and that's how you you started working for Spartan. Yeah, so um, it was really fun. So I was at um, I had done that first death race in twenty twelve, and after it I was like, man, like all these events I did did not really prepare me for this the way they should have. There needs to be an event that prepares people for this. They don't have an event that prepares people for this. You know, they have a Spartan Beast, and they have a Death Race, and they have a Hurricane Heat, which is like four or five hours, which is just not enough. And I'm like, there just needs to be something more. 
And so I had uh, linked up with this guy, um, Chad Weyberg, and he lived up in Wisconsin and he had an amazing farm. And I was like, hey, man, like, I want to host this event. You've got a farm. Like, would it be cool if I host a 24 hour event on your property? Sure. Come on up. We got some trails. So I started driving up there on my weekends. I literally leave work on Friday, drive out there spend the whole weekend with him, drive home, go back to work. And like, I did that every weekend after that first death race and then, uh, launched those events. So at the end, like I would say like October, I think it was like end of October of 2012, I actually launched my first 24 hours. So within months, I mean, June by October, I launched my first event, had like 10 or 15 people show up to it, put them through a 24 hour, like simulation of the death race and then I held two more of those in 2013. Meanwhile, the whole year, I was like, Joe, I've got this idea for an event. I've already hosted one. I've got two more I'm hosting this year. Like, But I don't have any money because I'm like a young <laughs> 20-something uh, who has not quite made it yet. And I just, you know, I need, I need backing. But I think this event would help your event. So, like, why don't we partner up? And, you know, after chasing him around the country, going to different events and constantly emailing him and everything, he finally was like, you know what? Yeah, let's let's do this. And so uh, I was at uh, we were at the uh, Spartan Sprint at Fenway uh, Park in uh, Boston. And, uh, you know, I pitched him all day and like the whole day about it, like just kind of like I ran the course with him and his daughter. And I was like, you know, we got to do this. We got to do this. And he was like, all right, all right, we'll do this. And then that night, him and I like hung out. He actually uh, had a TEDx talk the next day, oh, right. uh, which was all about his, you know, his belief that the burpee is the, you know, best exercise in the world. And at that TEDx talk, he was like, you know, uh, or further before before it, he was asking me, hey, how do I, you know, how do I end this thing? Like, I, I feel like it's, you know, it's good. You know, can you listen to the speech? So I listened to it, and he's like, I just don't know how to end it. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, this is where you gotta you gotta challenge these people. Like, you're telling everyone that this is the thing to do but why not you know especially it's you're presenting to mit professionals and stuff people that love research and analysis i'm like tell them to do this for 30 days do 30 burpees a day for 30 days and to report back to you their results and so he pitches that that becomes the spartan 30 which becomes like a big 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 spartan campaign over the next 18 months um and so he launches that the next day i had missed my flight because i was like so determined to get this job with him that he's like, you know what? Come up with me to Vermont for a week if you got nothing going on. I was like, fuck it, I got nothing going on. <laughs> so I go up to Vermont. I spend a week with him, my buddy Miguel, who was another racer, and uh, you know, we spent the week building a cabin in the woods. We were building like the foundation for it, and all the while talking about how we were going to create this thing and what we were going to do. And then, you know, next thing you know, I'm hired. And that's like my project is to start building out Spartan Endurance and creating like the 12 hour hurricane heat and everything else that has, you know, come since then. And then, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty wild. So, so that must then give you a completely different perspective on, on those races now having been a director yourself. So, I mean, what, what, what additional insight did you gain? Like when you, when you did like death race again, when you're not in control, um, and from the, you know, I mean, did, did it give you a, a sort of a greater respect to how difficult it is to put something on or did it, you just think something completely different? What, what, what was it, what was kind of like coming to it with this other perspective? How did you feel? I started to understand how much of it was like predetermined. Like there has to be a lot of things that are pre-organized 
but I also understood how much of it was like on the fly, um, you know, because sometimes you have to adapt because the reality is you can't in a race like this, you can't predict what racers are going to do. And because of or how long sometimes, you know, you can test a lot of these obstacles yourself to an extent, but you can't test all of them. You can't test all of them in a row. So it's really hard to like be like, OK, how long is this really going to take someone? So sometimes it takes longer for them to complete a task. And now you're like, OK, well, we now we have to like, you know, so it, I understood and appreciated how modular the races had to be because they had to be able to quickly be like, OK, well, you know, we have to pull this thing out and either move it to a different time in the race or just completely scrap it because we don't have time for it now. And so it gave me that understanding of just how everything worked. And uh, it kind of made me feel like uh, I always knew that whatever was coming next may or may not be something that they had planned. And I felt like it just it gave me just a different awareness. You know, like I was able to accept things as they came because I knew how fluid it was. Um, And it definitely like kind of just eliminated fear completely because I knew how like off the cuff some of this stuff was. And then what about taking some of what you experienced when you were doing things like Death Race into your job as a, as a director? Did it, did it bring you a new level of sadism or did it you know, make you sort of appreciate things differently or, 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 or you know, kind of like think about you know, what, the amount that you could challenge people? It made me want to try to test all the events more, all the obstacles more, because I knew sometimes that they weren't being tested. And it kind of frustrated me because I felt like... It, if you're going to make someone do something, you should either a do it yourself or some variation of it yourself and be like, you should have a good understanding of how long it takes to do. So I would try really, really hard when I would come up with like a 12 hour event to go do as many of those tasks, whether I had to do them in individual, you know, segments throughout a week or whatever, because I had to like obviously maintain my body and not like completely crush myself. You can't just do like 12 hour events all the time. You're going to destroy your body. But I wanted to have at least some level of understanding, okay, you know, how many people are going to be, how long is it going to take them to hike from here to here with a tire? Okay, cool. If it's going to take them that long to hike from there to there with a tire for me, or if it takes me this long to do that, you know, and then like, I could try to figure out, okay, the slowest person's probably going to take this long. There's probably someone who's going to be faster than me. That's going to take that long. And that would help me like kind of gauge things better for how long tasks would take. Um, and so I tried to put a lot more care into understanding everything I was creating. I wasn't just trying to throw crazy sadistic things out there because I didn't want to make people do things that were impossible. I wanted them to do things that were physically, realistically possible. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was valuable having that perspective as a, as a competitor and then testing it yourself. I swear, that's what the difficult thing is for someone that's never organized a race before. And it, what it seems like with these kind of races is that the variables are so huge that like, you just don't know how anyone's going to respond to anything. You don't know what the weather conditions are going to be like and how that's going to affect it. It just it seems like such a massive like amount of chaos to have to deal with. I think you have to be a certain type of person to organize it as well as competing it. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, it's controlled chaos. And, um, you know, I, I joke about it. I think, um, personally, like I, I never was diagnosed, but I probably have some form of ADHD. I think that plays in my favor because I'm able to kind of bounce around a lot and, you know, pull things together because I'm able to bounce around a lot from my hyper, uh, activity. And, um, yeah, it's it's super fascinating, I think, because, like, your mind has to be able to, like, figure out all these different things and how they're going to come together and, like, how's that going to work? 
And so, what? Where did the book come in? Why did why why write a book now? What was the what was the um, what was the thinking behind that? Because you you'd had a blog for a while, um, and you were capturing your thoughts on that. Is it is it kind of a, just a, a progression of that, or an amalgamation of it? Yeah, it basically is. It's it's very much the blog in a lot of ways. Um, so it, you know, when I started writing the blog, it was my way of. Um, holding myself accountable. I was like, if I'm going to do this thing, I need some sort of accountability. And if I write about it, that's going to hold me accountable because uh, the more I post about it, the more I share it with people, the more I'm going to feel like I have to do this thing that I've said I'm going to do. And so that's how it all started. And then, you know, I think it was somewhere in the second year, I was like, holy cow, I have written a lot of words, you know, because people started making, people started making jokes. They're like, so how long is this uh, year's, you know, story going to be 12 posts, 15 posts? Because, you know, it'd take me 10, 12 blog posts and each one anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 words each to kind of get like that, get that year's story out. Um, and so, you know, I started noticing I had like 30, 40,000 words or whatever it was written. And I was like, damn, this is a lot. Like, this is a small book at this point. So when I did the third year, I mean, I had like, you know, 60, 70,000 words. And I was like, this is, this is the book now. <laughs> um, in terms of at least, you know, quantitatively, but like, it's not cohesive and all that. And I wanted to make it a book, but you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, other things just kept coming up and it made it hard for me to actually like organize my thoughts on it. And so last year I actually took like kind of a sabbatical, um, from like my main primary job of marketing and was like, just buckled down and edited the book all year, uh, and worked with my editor on it. And we kind of, you know, groomed it. Um, so we took like what was the blog, um, we made it a lot more refined, you know, we fleshed out the storylines a little bit better because some of them like there's missing pieces, like what, what does this mean and what happened here? And, you know, I can tell your thought process here, but like you need to extrapolate for like the, you know, the common reader and stuff like that. So it really, really fleshed things out. And then there was also big gaps. So, you know, you'd have the, the, you know, the first year story, and then the second year story, but what happened between? Yeah. So I filled that in with you know some chapters that kind of bridge those gaps, um, and then you know applying this philosophy of uh, the courage, power, wisdom to it, which is so like the whole idea behind that is that you have to have the courage to start something, no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be a death race, but anything you have to have courage to start, and so. You know, if you want to go be an ultra runner or if you want to go run a 5K or whatever it is, you have to have that courage to sign up, to start, to show up and go do it. Um, but then, like, that's not enough to actually finish or complete anything. You have to develop the power and the power doesn't have to be physical. It can be mental strength, but the power comes from repetition. It comes from doing things over and over again. It comes from, you know, all of that. And then you from that, you're probably going to have some successes. You're probably going to have some failures. And through those successes and failures, you're going to develop your wisdom, you know, and, and with those three things, you can conquer anything, you know, it could be becoming a, a writer, becoming a singer, becoming a podcaster, becoming, you know, a, a software developer, whatever your, your, your death race is, uh, you can conquer life with those three things. And that was the concept I wanted to kind of like inject and have as like an underlying tone in the book. It's mostly a memoir, but like, it's also in a, sort of way like a self-help because it's like if you can apply these principles to anything in your life like you're gonna succeed right and so is that did you did you have it in your mind that you you wanted it to be that or was that something that developed over the course of then like reflecting on it and looking back and going actually there, there's a lot of lessons here 
that 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 we can pull from this and you know and and, and develop this like philosophy around it. Yeah. So I mean, so that's like something I've um, that's a philosophy I've always lived by, but like it didn't. Trying to piece those things together took a long time. I mean, I'd say all of 2015, I thought about it like constantly. I had so many so many conversations with um, my partner at the time about it. You know, being like, I know that there's something here. But I'm trying to figure out how to like, you know, make this into something. And, you know, I just you know, I was trying to tie those pieces together and figure it out. And like over time, it was like, no, you know what? These these are my principles. They do apply to this. Each year kind of signifies each of these things, because, you know, that first year was very much just all about having the courage to start that second year. I had developed a lot more strength and power and understanding and physical like prowess to you know do the things that i had to do there um and by the third year i really learned from every like spectrum because i had now worked on the director side i had helped organize the mexico death race a little bit i had helped you know do social media at the winter death races so i had seen it from all the different points of view and perspectives so i'd really gained a lot of wisdom and i was able to apply it to my final performance and like you know actually do a really, really good job and excel at that race. Um, and so the funny thing is, and I think people always laugh at this, but those principles actually come from my childhood and they come from a video game that I played in my childhood, <laughs> which is what inspired the title of the blog and of the, uh, the book, which is the legend of Zelda. Of course. And the legend of the death race. Of course. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. That's utterly brilliant. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, this you know, your your whole story and um, pulling it together, and you know, I think there's a lot of people in the um, in the group who, who are going to be fascinated by by reading the story, and it's going to it's going to um, uh, appeal to them in so many ways, especially with that with that underlying message. And like you say, regardless of the type type of race you're doing, um, in terms of what what's kind of next for you, what 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 are you kind of looking looking forward to? What you know, what are, what are your next challenges? What are you what are you working on next? So I just found out yesterday, I think it was, or two days ago, that the race I was training for this year was canceled, unfortunately. But, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop training. I'm still going to keep training and doing what I do. Um, and maybe I'll just go do, like, my own variation on my own at some point by myself. But, because uh, I like soloing things. So like, how, right do, now, how, do you, doing... how, how do you do, like, a self-isolating death race style? Like, go well, so I don't, yourself do, to I don't do death races anymore. <laughs> I pretty much fully converted to the ultras. Oh, have you? Okay. Um, the ultra, the the race I was training for was the Mount Baker Ultra. Okay. And so that one, uh, there's a town of Concrete, Washington, and you run from that town to basically the the false summit of Mount Baker, which is one of the volcanoes out here, and uh, then you run back. And they actually, what they do for that race, though, they is they set a fixed line all the way to the top um, that you clip onto with like you know you have your alpine harness on, and then you just clip on and go up the you know this glacier. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> I was so stoked for it. It's, I think it's in its third year. So like this race started like way back in 1911. It was around for a few years and then it disappeared for like most of the last century. And then just recently in the past, like three years or whatever, they brought it back. It's one of those races where it's a, you know, a small, small group of people. I think they only let 75 people in yeah. this year. Um, I got in the lottery this year and was like so stoked to be able to finally go participate after hearing about it. I think, I think it was like two or three years ago I heard about it and I was like, I have to do this, you know, and I've been <laughs> signing up every year since and I finally got in, but they're going to defer us to next year. So, you know, that's good to go. I know I'll be doing it next year for sure. 
Um, but in the meantime, I might just have to go climb Mount Baker by myself because that was like one of my mountains out here that I'm trying to climb. I'm trying to summit the, there's like seven volcanoes uh, in that are like considered like the seven summits of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And so I've only got three left, which one is Baker, the other one's Glacier Peak, and then the other one's Mount Hood. So that's like my goal for the summer, I guess, right now is to go finish those. And then uh, in terms of writing and everything, I kind of want to now, you know, I've told my big story. Um, I'm telling other people's stories on a uh, weekly basis on my podcast, which is the Legend of the Death Race podcast. And that's kind of painting the bigger legend of this race. And so uh, with that, we're sharing, you know, everyone else's legend. And, you know, because everyone has a different race. You know, my race was different than a lot of other people's. And so there we're sharing that and lots of, you know, motivation, inspiration, how to overcome obstacles, teaching people how to eat and et cetera. It's kind of like gives them a little bit of all this information. So if anyone is looking to do a death race like that, podcast has a lot of insight especially if you listen to a lot of the episodes because you can figure out what works for some people what doesn't work for some people etc and then um but like i've really really started to you know i want to know more about why people do these things because it's very fascinating that we as a species have started gravitating more and more to these extreme types of endurance uh you know we've been doing feats of endurance for many many years but oftentimes because we had to now we are voluntarily paying hundreds of dollars to go suffer. That's really, really weird. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> we, talked Shack- about, we talked about that quite a lot on the podcast, about how weird it is, yeah. <laughs> Ernest Shackleton, you know, he had to do what he had to do. Yeah. Uh, he did not, you know, like, I mean, he chose to do it, yes, but, like, it was more out of, like, a feel of need. Whereas now it's, like, we're doing these things that are so extreme, and it's, like, why are we doing this? Why are people... And so I want to explore that why more. And so I want to create a, a series of books that will share more people's stories of endurance. And it's going to be called titled Stories of Endurance. Uh, I've already got the pre-order up on it, actually. And uh, the working subtitle is Why Humans Enjoy Suffering as a Sport. And so my plan is to interview hundreds and hundreds of athletes um, and, and tell their stories, you know. Oh, Wow. That's going to be incredible. We've got, you know, you can go through, you can go through our podcast list. There's a bunch of people that, that seem to enjoy suffering in a huge amount um, that is completely inexplicable and absolutely love it and go back for it time and again. Sometimes we do as well. That's when we're, that's when occasionally we, we decide to do any sort of running. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it is. There is, there is something, isn't there, about, and I don't know whether it's about, it's about society or, or something else, but we were, we were talking um, to um, Adara Nav Finn, um, author of um, Rise of the Ultra Runner, about a similar thing um the fact that you know why why do people go out and do these things like what what you know as as life has got easier why do we want to you know create that kind of suffering um and it's probably because there's something like yeah yeah yeah, life has gotten so easy now it's like okay so yeah we need to do something because like our primal instinct is like no i need to go do like something hard and so, and and so, how are you finding these stories? Are you are you asking like just to, to just having random conversations with with whoever you can meet, or you know, or, or or do people like contact with you? You know, how how can we help with this? You know, I if anyone wants to to tell me their story, um, I just started a Facebook page for the the book called Stories of Endurance. So you'd be able to find that Facebook page, and you can reach me there. Um, I mean, you could email me directly at. Uh, uh, aj matisi my last name m-a-t-e-s-i at gmail.com um i have like a list of questions i want to ask 
Um, but I'm just looking to, to connect with as many endurance athletes as possible in all different sports. Um, you know, I want to talk to Alex Honnold. I want to talk to Killian Jornet. I want to get all of these people. Like, I want to get the people at the top, you know, of the game. But I also want to get everyone else, too. Because, like, there's so many people with so many different stories of endurance. And I want to share as many of them as possible. I, I've decided that's kind of, like, what I want to do. Brilliant. I, th- I think you, you'll f- there's a, there'll be a bunch of people in, um, in our community who won't shut the hell up about the races that they're doing. So they'll be perfect to speak to. And if you're talking to them, it means we don't have to speak to them. So that sounds <laughs> absolutely... No, but there are, there are generally some like probably great stories from, from people in our community who I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll absolutely uh, they'll love to do that. So, but that, so I mean, that, That's brilliant. That's brilliant. It's so great to, to have you on and, uh, and, and talking about this. And so uh, the book is um, Legend of the Death Race and um, the, the, the Facebook page, just if you remind me again, the Facebook page for... Um, the endurance uh, tales of endurance stories of endurance. stories of endurance I, 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 you know i actually thought about tales of endurance but a few people have told me to go with stories i like tales but you know tales, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just right, a little bit easier tales of endurance it makes it sound just a little bit more mystical doesn't it tales that's how i felt you know yeah. it's a working title maybe it'll change but yeah definitely um it's uh facebook.com slash stories of endurance uh the same for legend of the death race it's facebook.com slash legend of the death race amazing great to have you on tony See you later. Thank you so much. Bye. So there you go, guys. Lovely interview. Thanks, Tony. Jody's actually rammed with clients currently. So instead of doing the usual discussion of the interview afterwards, it's just me, I'm afraid. And I didn't even do the interview. Really loved it, though. Completely different. And I loved the fact that as part of applying, you had to create publicity for the event. Genius. I don't know why more events aren't doing that. And it made me wonder how big would the Barclay Marathon be if that was one of their prerequisites? Because people are so desperate to do it. If you enjoyed this episode, a really good one to listen to from way back at the beginning, maybe episode 10 or 11. We interviewed Stephanie Bishop, who is one of the top American obstacle racers. She did the death race. She also has gone on since we spoke. I think she's won World's Toughest Mudder. We probably should get her back to talk about that. But that's a really good one. If you haven't listened that far back on the podcast, not only is she great, but it'll be quite interesting for you to hear how different it is. Partly the sound quality, partly just Jodie and I being even more clueless about what we're doing, what we're saying. Other good episodes, if you enjoyed this one to listen to, we spoke to John Alban, who is not only World Trail Champion and World World Sky Race Champion, but he's also something like 50 times Obstacle Race Champion. So we spoke to him about how he trains and how he gets through all of that. And then uh, something related to longer races, our lovely co-host Ali Bailey spoke about doing the piece of string race where you don't know how long it's going to be. You have to just keep on going. And so if you enjoyed the mental torture of this episode, that's something that resonates in her episode as well. So thanks for listening, guys. If you've got any guests that you'd recommend we get on the show, you can now email me david at badboyrunning.com jody has his own email as well and it's spelt jody without the ie um j-o-d-y 
If you want to ask questions to future guests, follow us on Instagram and we post an event who we're going to be talking to. And um, yeah, if you'd be so kind as to rate, review and subscribe, that would be a huge help. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week. Brother, bye, 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 brother, bye, 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 bye. Baby, come back. Brother, bye, 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 brother, bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come back. Yes, and give me one more try. Cause a love like this should I never, ever die. Come back. Fuck you, buddy.